All right. Uh, Kilimanjaro won that, by the way. Where, where's Benjamin at? Do you, do you understand, like, the concept? <laughs> I love it. He was just, like, sticking his tongue through, like, maybe they'll think this is a bubble. <laughs> it's hard. You don't... Uh, that's, oh, you got you to gotta train him in that. You got to teach him. <laughs> I think we broke a record there for winning a bubble-blowing contest with the world's smallest bubble, probably. <laughs> that was amazing. But it worked. You won. So good job, Kilimanjaro. Fuji in second, Denali in third, and Everest in fourth. So uh, there's more points. There's a lot more points coming this morning. So thank you guys for competing for Aslan's Golden Scepter. So you can go ahead now and pull out your Bibles, pull out your notebooks. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for serving us so well last night. So let's welcome Mr. Whitaker as he comes up to serve us once again. Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, campers. I, my heart goes out to everyone competing in those. I don't know that I could blow much of a bubble on demand. Do I have a pen? I have a pen. Okay. I don't have your pen. Sorry to say. I, first, I, I just I want to start by saying thank you for such a warm welcome to me and my boys. I feel like... I feel like already we're just part of the family, and we might as well have been members of Cornerstone or Redeeming Grace or wherever just for years and years, because that's what it feels like. And thank you for welcoming us and greeting us and, and getting to know us, and we're really enjoying getting to know y'all. So this has, been, this has been really great, and I hope this morning, I hope you had some opportunities to put into practice some of what we learned last night, thinking about the giver of gifts. Um, that sunrise this morning, if you didn't get over there to the sort of the overlook to have your quiet time and watch the sunrise, the, the pink sky and the blue terrain, it was amazing. And I hope you do tomorrow morning because it is just it is just beautiful. I don't want you to miss it. And that breakfast was fantastic. And there's games and fun. There's so much so many ways for us to thank the giver. So this morning, I want you to open your Bibles again to the book of Ecclesiastes. As I was looking out on that sunrise, I noticed that you can see a river down in the valley. It's the Tennessee River, right? And I think, am I not mistaken? I think the Tennessee River eventually runs into the Ohio River, which goes actually not far from my house. So I feel like we're also connected in that way, which is great. Um, there are a lot of ways to get down a river. When I was in college, in one summer... I had two very different experiences on two different rivers. That summer, I went tubing and I went whitewater rafting in one summer. It's a great summer. Tubing and rafting, technically, technically you're doing the same thing. Right? Technically. You're using an inflatable vessel on a river to get from point A to point B. If you've ever done either of these things, though, you know that that's about where the similarity ends between tubing and whitewater rafting. Tubing is the essence of passivity, right? Really, the only essential piece of equipment is a giant inflatable donut. And 
All you do is you sit in the tube and you float. You go where the currents take you. You are just drifting along. You see some sights, kind of end up in and out of conversations. You kind of spin around. You wonder if your cooler is still attached to the, the, the tube. And off you go. You get sunburned. The hardest work of the day is when you have to stand up and drag your tube over the shallow spots. It's fun. It's easy. Rafting is a fundamentally different experience of the river. How many of you have been tubing? It's just, okay, good. Oh, everybody knows what I'm talking about, great. How many of you have been whitewater rafting? A little different, am I right? Okay, a little different. Rafting, and you recognize there are dangers ahead, right? So you don a life jacket and a helmet. You are warned about submerged rocks and these swirling vortices that might pin you underwater against one of these rocks so they don't even find your body until the water level goes down months later. <laughs> you have to sign a waiver so that after you drown, you can't sue anybody. <laughs> you need a guide to see you safely through. And then you get in and you are just paddling for your life. The dude in the back of the raft is like, stroke, stroke. And you're just paddling. I don't know what we're doing. I can't see anything. You're just paddle like crazy, and you come out the other side of this class 37 rapid, you're exhausted, you're exhilarated, you cheated death and lived to tell the tale. Two possible ways to navigate a river, two very different ways of navigating a river. Now this morning, what we're going to do today and tonight, this morning and tonight, is we're going to take some of what we learned last night and we're going to apply it in specific ways. My concern with the message last night is it sounds, it all sounds well and good. I, oh yeah, great. I like that stuff. God's a giver. Let's be grateful. Let's receive it as gifts. That's great. But uh, what do we do with that in actual stuff? in daily life. And so this morning and tonight, we're going to apply that in two different topics. This morning, we're going to talk about social media. Tonight, we're going to talk about friendship. We're going to try to take what we learned last night and press it out into some details of life. And I've, I've told you about, about rafting and about tubing because there are two different ways to navigate a river. I think they're also a really great picture of two different ways to handle social media, two different ways of handling your digital life. Now, some of you are well on your way into social media. Some of you have accounts right now, this morning even, you maybe have been posting to whatever is the social media du jour, your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, tweeting, I don't know, whatever it is you do, right? Some of you, some of you are younger and you know this is off in your future somewhere and you're itching to get a phone, get your fingers on a on an account so you can start connecting with people. And some of you are not there yet. I, I realize some of you have not launched into social media. And I hope for you, this message will serve you to help you begin to think carefully about how this works. The principle here is this. You don't want to take an inner tube into white water, right? So try to just take that rafting or that tubing experience, just floating along, put that on a whitewater river. You're not going to want to do that. Dangerous, right? Many Christians, though, are tubing down a digital river that requires whitewater skills. And my hope today is that we'll begin to see that social media requires the kind of attentiveness and care and deliberation and caution that a river guide would use when navigating white water. So maybe after last night's message, it won't surprise you that much to hear that King Solomon, the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, has something to say about social media. 
He really did. Solomon lived almost 3,000 years ago. Of course, social media, as we know it today, did not exist then. It didn't even exist when I was going to youth retreats as a teenager. But even though there was no digital technology in his age, the same temptations that confront us in social media were in the heart of Solomon and the hearts of the people that he wrote to. And it is not hard to take what he says in this book and apply it into social media and tonight into friends. And then later you can think about it into all sorts of different topics. Solomon had a very sharp read on the temptations and the opportunities that social media puts in front of us. And we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 2 verses 9 through 11 because these verses highlight some of the temptations that social media present. So I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 2, verses 9 through 11, and then I want to pray. Solomon says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you in your wisdom. You gave us words that were written thousands of years ago to serve us and to guide us today so that we might safely navigate a white water full of submerged dangers, hidden rocks. We want to come out the other side safely. We want to walk this. We want to to navigate this river with, with godliness, with holiness, with intentionality. We need your help to do that. Help us to live and use our social media in a way that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. Amen. So, in these couple of verses, Solomon is describing a kind of sinful pride and a kind of sinful pursuit of pleasure. First, he says, I became great and I surpassed all who were before me. Now, he may be saying that just as kind of a matter of fact, because it is true that he was the, the, the richest king, the, the most well-known king, the wisest king of Israel to this point. But he also may be saying that as, I became puffed up in this, and I took on a kind of sinful pride, a, a pleasure in my, in my status. And then he also describes a kind of sinful pursuit of pleasure. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. So it's possible to go after sinful pride and sinful pursuit of pleasure without social media. You may, some of you who have not begun into social media, may think, well, I could be tempted to pride and to sinful pursuit of pleasure apart from social media. And that's very true, but social media is particularly tempting in this regard. It lays before us these twin temptations to indulge ourselves in pride and the pursuit of pleasure. We need to think about how that works. So first of all, I don't want to assume too much. I think we should ask the question, well, what is social media? 
What are we talking about here? Asking that question is the first step in moving from a kind of passive tubing mentality to a much more active, attentive, thoughtful, and deliberate whitewater rafting mentality. Okay. I didn't do it. Okay, here's a very simple definition of social media. Any means. Social media is just any means of digital communication from a distance. All right, now we could add to that, but that's a really simple version of it. Most of us would elaborate on that because email could fit into that description. So maybe we would say something like, look, it's an online platform or an app that allows us to create and share content with others. And that sounds harmless enough, right? Just an, a website or an app, some sort of platform that allows us to create and share content with others. When I got started thinking about teenagers and social media, there was no Facebook. I started pastoring in 2002. I started, I was, became a youth pastor in 2003. Facebook, I think, didn't hit the scene until like 2006 in a real public way. Um, back then, there, there, was, there was Zanga and there was MySpace. Some of y'all look at me, just blank looks. A few of the parents know what I'm talking about. Now we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, there's YouTube, there's blogs. We could even kind of extend that out into broader categories, comments on articles, product reviews on Amazon. There are all sorts of connections that happen in apps and games on your phone. There's Slack, there's WhatsApp, there's texting. It's all sorts of different ways that we are connected to one another. But it's not enough just to name them. That's a good start. What is social media? Well, Twitter is social media. Facebook, social media. Okay, fine. But what are they? What are these things? How do they function? What do they mean? Now, I, I would love to have a deeper conversation and get into the sort of the philosophy of communication. What does it mean that I form a thought and then I try to speak it or type it and then you have to receive it and you have to interpret it? All that, that's a conversation that stretches back through history like to Aristotle. And that would be fun. That's a different talk. And we're not going to do that today. Um, instead, I want us to think through sort of a theology of social media. What does the Bible have to say to this? What does Ecclesiastes have to say about this? Now, this, Mike asked me to do this because this is sort of a, this is an adaptation of a class that I taught last winter at our church. And so some of this is connected to Ecclesiastes and some of this is observations from my experience as a pastor. So this is a little bit different kind of sermon than I would normally preach. I would rather just start with a text and be like, here's what it says. Um, and so this is a little different, but it's okay. I hope it still serves you. So I want us to think about the benefits and the dangers here of social media. Whitewater rafting is a ton of fun, but you do sign a waiver because it is a risky business. And we need to think like that as we approach social media. We need to consider the benefits and the dangers of social media. First, there are, there are real benefits. Uh, you can connect over a distance. That's a gift. That is a real gift. Connection over distance to create, to renew, to maintain relationships. Some might even use the word friendships. We can rejoice with those who rejoice. We can mourn with those who mourn. We can share all sorts of things. Pictures and video, recipes, verses, songs, quotations. All sorts of ways that we can share life together even over great distance. Ways that at one time was limited by a phone, before that was limited maybe by letters, before that was very difficult to do at all. There are, through social media, unparalleled opportunities for learning. 
You can learn Spanish. You can learn to play cello. You can learn to play chess. You can learn to bake bread. I have, I have literally been on my back underneath my truck watching a YouTube video, <laughs> trying to figure out what, what am I doing? Um, you can learn all kinds of stuff. There's also quick access to basically any information ever. I mean, technically, that's a benefit. Might be valuable for resolving that dinnertime dispute. Might help you win the Mike Pluniak trivia contest we saw a little bit of last night. There's more probably we could say, but I don't think I have to convince you of the benefits of social media. Social media platforms are working pretty hard to do that already, and I don't need to add to that. But not everything about social media is good. Like whitewater rafting, you have to navigate the dangers. You have to navigate between the rocks and the swirls and the crests, and you got to all these forceful currents, you have to be alert to these dangers. I've thought a lot about this and I've read a lot about this. At our church, I am now the singles pastor. And one of the things that I say over and over to our singles is like, let's think this through. Whatever we're going to do, let's be deliberate about it. Let's not drift into anything. Let's not go tubing into anything. Because if you take a tube into whitewater rafting, into that kind of river, you're going to get hurt. We don't want to be rafters who just drift down a river and get chucked over a waterfall. So there are some dangers with social media. And I'm going to give you a couple. And these are, these are just a collection of observations. This is not drawn from a particular verse. I want you to think with me about some of the dangers that social media can present. Number one, there is the prideful vanity of status. And so we could take actually what Solomon says here in verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And I feel like that phrase, if we could take that phrase and just translate it into, <laughs> into the social media world, that sums up so much of what social media is. It is a quest to become great and surpass all those who have gone before me. Social media tends towards constant measurement. You notice this. Social media pushes you to measure. Analytics is a thing. And we are constantly being told how many friends we have, how many likes we got, how many retweets, how many comments. Now look, we measure stuff all the time and that is good and right. How much gas is in the tank? How much time until breakfast starts? How many sales did I make this month? This month? How, many, how, many, how, how much flour do I need for these cookies? But the measurements of social media are devious. Social media measures people's responsiveness to us, to our thoughts, to our ideas, to our humor, to our pictures. And so these measurements create a new and very artificial way of measuring ourselves. The way God designed it to be, we would measure ourselves by comparison to God's standard of holiness laid out in His Word. That's the only measurement that matters. The question is, how do we measure against, how do we, how do we measure up against, do, do I conform to Christ? How much does my life look like Jesus Christ? That's the only measurement that matters, but social media thrusts upon us all these other measurements. And what's 
ugly and dangerous about that is we begin to feel that we ourselves are being measured for good or for bad. One of two things happens. We either clear the threshold we've set for ourselves or we don't. We look at the number of friends we have, the number of thumbs up or little hearts that a, a picture or a post gets, and we think, all right, that one worked. Or we are disappointed because we hoped it would do better. This realization led me to reconsider my Twitter usage. I used to tweet a lot, and I would just have my phone, and, and I would come across a quote or take a picture and add a clever little caption that I thought was kind of funny, kind of ironic, and I was, I was constantly then coming back to Twitter. What I started to notice is I kept opening Twitter on my, my phone, not to see what other people were, were doing or saying, but to check on my own tweets. That was all I was looking at. And I wanted to see, I had this, I had this threshold in mind, this, this number of, of retweets. And I thought, well, that was a really good picture with a funny caption. That should have done better. And I became disappointed if, if a tweet didn't succeed, especially if I thought it, I, I had some kind of profound quotation or a unique insight or a pithy little turn of phrase or a beautiful picture of a sunset. And I started to realize that I kept swinging in my soul. It was, it was, it was subtle. It didn't, Maybe if you saw me outwardly, you wouldn't notice, but I kept swinging between this kind of nibbling disappointment and this kind of smug self-satisfaction, neither of which measure well when compared to Jesus Christ. Neither of which are healthy because they both come from the prideful vanity of status. So that's a danger. That's a danger I want you to be alert to. I think it's a danger Solomon wants to be alert to. I was also... I also began to realize the destruction of contentment because of comparison. So a second danger is comparison and the destruction of contentment. Social media invites us into other people's homes, into their jobs, into their hobbies, their achievements, their trips, their meals, their birthdays, their shopping, their vacations. But not all of it. <laughs> Social media, what's posted there? Look, I'm going to let you in on a dirty little secret. It's highly selective. You know what I'm talking about. I hear the chuckles. You already know that either all that gets posted is either the very best of life, often improved upon with filters and camera angles and little captions, or some picture of the drudgeries of life, like a long line of traffic with, with a sarcastic or complaining caption, right? What we see on social media is not real life but it passes itself off that way. I work in retail, I often have to compare people's credit card to their driver's license, and I had a friend who, as people were checking out, he would always say, you know, it, people would always, people always apologize for their, their picture on their driver's license. Oh, you know, don't look at the picture, it's, oh, it's a bad picture. And he'd say, it's okay. Nobody looks as bad as their driver's license picture, or as good as their Facebook picture. It's not real life, but we're tempted to compare and almost never favorably. The temptation is heightened. Well, frankly, we probably, most of us are looking at social media when we are in the midst of a boring or otherwise unremarkable situation. So that's a recipe for real contentment wreck, right? Because you're bored. You're like sitting on the couch on a lazy Wednesday afternoon in the middle of summer. Man, I got nothing to do. And so you look at somebody else's life that looks amazing. And so social media contributes to our unhappiness 
by exposing us to experiences and conversations and places and foods we never knew we wanted and maybe don't even really want that much, but now we want because somebody else has it. It's a source of a great deal of unhappiness in our lives. A third danger of social media is, it's a pretty obvious one, wasting time. I don't think that I have to tell you much about how time is such a precious commodity and that social media can tempt us to waste massive amounts of time. I think what would surprise us, though, is how much time it's possible to waste on social media. Every study of social media, I've read a number of different articles and even academic studies of social media. Every study of social media says that people drastically underestimate the amount of time that they spend on their social media. And when I first started thinking about this years ago, it was before our phones would sort of track this for you. Now they do that. And they're like, every Sunday morning I get, it's great, I'm getting ready for church and I get this little reminder, oh, here's your screen time usage this week. Great. Your screen time was up 35 minutes this week. Okay, great. Mary of Loserville over here. Um, before that, I downloaded this app that tracked it all for me. And um, I had this experience like, this thing's broken. This app is stupid. This can't be right. It must be like, it must, that app must be open. It's looking at like, like Twitter and Facebook. They're like open in the background while I'm doing other stuff on my phone. It's, it's got to be like counting all that, right? I mean, there's no way. I had the same experience when my wife a few weeks ago bought a digital scale. And we had this, this old analog scale. It worked fine. She bought this digital scale. I, you got to take this back. Costco will take anything back. Get, this thing doesn't work at all. Um, so, but I started doing my own tests. I realized these things are actually kind of accurate. It, it really disturbed me to see how much time I spent because I started realizing, look, I got other things I'm supposed to be doing. I am a, I am a Christian. I am a husband and a father. I have a full-time job, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm working on a PhD, I have, I have a yard that, with grass that needs to be mowed, there's all this, my house is falling apart, I need to get the oil changed in the car, there's other things I'm supposed to do. What could I have done with that time? How could I have used that time to serve the Lord, to serve the church, serve my family, to serve my friends? And then I came across a quote from John Piper, single sentence from John Piper can can wreck you. John Piper said, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Oh, oh man. And I remember thinking, I came across this quote right in a time of life when I was thinking, ah, oh, yeah, you know, New Year's resolution, I want to pray more. I want to pray more this year. I don't pray enough. And I, I heard this, I thought, oh no. Well, and it made me rethink my Twitter and my Facebook. And I think King Solomon, if he could see the amount of time, if he could see the amount of time that is, is wasted through social media, I think he would say to us, vanity. Vanity of vanities. Striving after wind. Trying to bottle up that breeze. Hang on to it for later. A fourth danger is distraction and the end of concentration. As a PhD student, I have to read big fat books and very technical articles and think hard about them. And I have found over time, I'm getting worse at it because of social media. Social media is designed to command our attention 
And then it takes our attention and it fragments it. It breaks it apart and makes it very difficult to focus on one thing at a time. Recently, several top executives who have left major companies like Google and Facebook began to say things in, with much more honesty than they ever said when they were employees of Google and Facebook. And they admitted that the apps that they designed and the websites that they designed, these platforms are very carefully designed, very intentionally designed to manipulate our attention and our affections. It's very disturbing, very concerning. And it's not only that social media distracts us from other things that we want to be doing, like reading a book, it also distracts us from other people. We might be so busy chatting via text message that we don't actually chat with a real person. Actually, what blows me away is how many of you are so good at conversation. I'm really encouraged by that because I have met many young people. And as a singles pastor, I've met many college students who either never had or have completely lost the ability to have a coherent conversation because it's not like this. It's very concerning. Parents, sometimes we're so busy trying to capture the perfect picture of that birthday party that we miss the party. We miss that moment, the enjoyment. It's really sad. So let's think carefully about how our social media can distract us and, and, and erode our ability to concentrate, focus. Fifth, there's also, so another danger is the folly of, and I'm putting in air quotes here, ignorant expertise. <laughs> and the free flow of careless words. Social media invites a great deal of participation before reflection. And the problem with social media is suddenly everybody is an expert on things they know nothing about. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. How did he write that before Facebook and Twitter and everything else? That is like the perfect description of almost all social media. Social media also draws us into stuff that is none of our business. So Proverbs 26, 17 says, Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. I've never tried that. Not a big, not a big dog person. Uh, I don't, some of y'all are pet people, and I know what I'm about to say is going to be a little controversial, but I don't really understand having animals in your house on purpose. Uh, if you do, great. Try to convince me, whatever. I know some of you are like, what an impoverished life he lives. Um, but I can imagine what would happen if you, if you were to pick up a dog by its ear. What do you do now? What happens next, right? Not going to go well. Not going to end well. Well, neither will it end well if you meddle in somebody else's quarrel. Matthew 12, 36 and 37, Jesus, so Jesus says things right along these lines. He says, Matthew 12, 36, 37, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And I don't think he meant only audible words. I think typed words, digital words fit perfectly into that category. People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So we need to take Jesus' words very seriously and think before we type. Uh, sixth danger. There's only seven of them, so don't, I'm not, we're not going to do this all day. Sixth danger is there is, look, oh boy, there's just ready access. Social media presents ready access to all sorts of evil. 
and the easy, imperceptible slide. Ecclesiastes 2.10, Solomon says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. That's a verse you can live out on social media very, very easily if you want. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Social media allows us to view and participate in all sorts of evil. Out there is pornography and all sorts of immorality. There is violence and angry outbursts. There is gossip and slander. There is discontent and greed and every other possible sin we could name. It's right there. And it also sets before us this imperceptible slide towards sin. Because it conditions us. Social media conditions us very slowly. It inoculates us. It makes what once seemed scandalous and abhorrent, maybe to seem more commonplace. It's no longer shameful. It's just, well, that's just kind of the way things are. What once was commonplace then becomes accepted. What once was accepted begins to become attractive. What is attractive is soon celebrated And we have to beware of this slippery slope of sin. And so later in Ecclesiastes, you don't have to turn here, but chapter 9, verse 17 and 18, he says, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. It's a sobering verse. Finally, seventh warning, the consuming impulse of idolatry. Idolatry is a real problem. There was a time when idolatry mainly meant people gathering around a little statue like this one and bowing down to it. And it was, in retrospect to us, it seems crazy. Why would somebody go to a card block of wood or a little fashioned piece of metal and and worship that as though that little thing that they could pick up and carry around, oh, that's God, he's got power. That seems nuts to us. But idolatry is a problem for us when we make anything or anyone more important and more valuable to us than God himself. This is a problem, typically, that we think other people have. Most of us think social media is a tool that we can manage rather than something that is managing us. And one overwhelming idolatry, I'm just going to give you one, and I think this is particularly a temptation to young people. I don't care about this so much as I used to now as a 42-year-old man, but for young people, there can be the overwhelming idolatry, the fear of missing out. This so much so, in fact, that this has been labeled a, a mental health problem among young people today by some clinicians. There's a whole cluster of, of addictions, internet online, social media, smartphones, screen addiction. Young people today who engage in social media, studies would say, are measurably more anxious, more fearful, and more depressed unless they can be quick to like, thumbs up, heart, or comment on other things. And so we need to beware of this impulse to idolatry. And we have to ask, what are you missing exactly? What would you be missing out on? You already heard about your friend's vacation. So what if you miss out on the pictures on social media? How many, how many pictures of cute kittens sliding off a sofa can you actually observe? What are you really missing out on? And it's a question to ask yourself. What exactly would your life lack if you didn't have, now fill in the blank, whatever it is that social media has to offer you? What exactly would you be missing from your life? If you can define that, if you can name it, then you are well on your way 
to uncovering what could be hidden idolatry in your heart. Now, you might hear these seven dangers I've just laid out for you and think, man, is Steve against social media or what? And actually, I'm not. Um, you might be thinking, Steve's just, Steve's just too old. He's like that old guy down the street. Oh, you kidsy. Hey, stay off the grass. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, my beard is turning white. My hair is falling out. I'm not that old. Um, there's a couple things I would say to that. It's, it's actually not so much what I'm against as what I am for. And that is where the whitewater rafting mentality comes in. Because if we're going to be deliberate and think carefully, first, I've just tried to let Solomon say some things to us. Secondly, I am for something here, right? So what I am for, here's what I am for. In using social media, here's what I, I think Solomon, here's what, what Christ through his word calls us to. What we are for is a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ in all that we do, including how we use social media. Social media is not like this little corner of your personhood that is like, well, I mean, I'm going to, I got Jesus at, on Sunday and in church, you know, and I'll write an essay about, uh, about something about the Bible for a class. But uh, when it comes to social media, I mean, that's just like, that's my thing. She's like, no, that's not how it works. Social media can threaten that single-minded devotion to the Lord. And so all Christians need to be deliberate and discerning about social media. And, I mean, let's just, we can just start adding to that list. Social media, TVs and movies you watch, music you listen to, the people that you hang out with, the things you do with your free time, your hobbies, uh, your school, I mean, the, the, your work, it just goes, you fill in the blank. All, all we're calling for is a Christ-centered everything. So when, when I say it's not so much that I'm against social media as I am for a Christ-centered everything. There was a theologian a little over 100 years ago named Abraham Kuyper. You probably heard this quote somewhere along the way. This guy was a world-class theologian and ended up being a prime minister. And he said, he said there's not a single square inch of the universe over which Christ, who is the risen Lord of all, does not cry Mine. I love that quote. There is not a single square inch over of the universe over which Christ, who is the risen Lord of all, does not cry, mine. And we see this throughout the Bible. That's a great quote, but that's exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20. He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. He says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't be, don't be pressed into a mold like a wad of Play-Doh, like a child's plaything. Instead, be transformed, be changed so that we might have a different mentality going down the river. If you are a Christian, Jesus owns you. He owns you. He owns your habits of social media. He owns everything about you. And so what we are for is real and practical godliness. That word godliness is an old word. We think about dusty old books and Puritans and stuff like that, but it needs to be a fresh word that is on our lips and in our minds. What does it mean to live godly lives in our social media and our friendships and everything else that we do? Wherever social media presses us to conform to this world, we need to make changes so that we can resist being conformed, so that we can walk in godliness. 
I'm also for, second, I think Ecclesiastes pushes us to be for, a robust and consistent devotional life with God. We are called to a robust and a consistent devotional life with God. Of all the things I'm going to say today, this might be one of the most important, and I think one of the areas we need to be most careful. We're often tempted to look to social media to provide something that only God can provide. And that's idolatry. Whether that's comfort, or rest, or satisfaction, or meaning, or belonging, or pleasure, or just relief from the boredom of life in this fallen world, sadness, anxiety. No, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're for attention and concentration. Part of the danger of fragmenting our ability to focus. Look, God gave us a book. We are people of the book. We need to be able to sit down and read and study this book without every two seconds thinking, oh, I wonder if there's anything new on my social media platform of choice. We need to be able to sit and, and soak in this to let it wash over us, to read and to reread, to meditate and to memorize, to let this shape us more than social media shapes us. And that is hard to do. It takes work and effort and practice. And social media works against that. So we need to be alert and attentive to that. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful. Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. We're also for family life. I have, a, I have a book on my shelf written by a woman. She's not a Christian. I think she's Jewish. It's called The Surprising Power of Family Meals. This was written like 10 years ago, and maybe more than that. And in it, at that time, so maybe closer to 15 years ago, at that time, she had a statistic in there that already more than 50% of families in the U.S. never ate a meal together around a table. And something like, 30% of families didn't even have a kitchen table, didn't even have a place in their house where they could sit down together and eat a meal together. Um, it pains me when we're in traffic and I see a family in a car and Junior's got his headphones on over there, he's leaned up against. Uh, car rides are for conversation. There are opportunities. I, I love car rides. My boys, as, as they, they have just, <laughs> I heard one author, he described it this way. He said, look, your kids, they have just stepped into dad's school of wisdom and virtue. <laughs> right here in the Chevy. <laughs> and so um, there are so many opportunities to create experiences together that are loving, that are attentive to one another, learning from one another, full of laughter together. And social media is intrusive upon those things. Um, about a year and a half ago, I, I had this thought. I, I, we were eating dinner and I got a text message. I don't know if it was work or a friend or something. So I whipped out my phone and I res res replied to that. And then it kind of just, it was one of those things that just kind of took over. And, and I spent like 10 minutes of family dinner texting with somebody. And, um, and what bothered me about it is it didn't seem weird. And I realized this is a problem because I'm missing. This is time with family. This is time for us to, to be together, to make memories, to grow together. And so I created this habit of I come in, I come into the house now, I go to the bedroom, keys, wallet, phone in the drawer of my nightstand. Somebody needs to get a hold of me? I'll check later. They'll get me, eventually. And those times of family dinner are so rich. And we, we laugh, we learn. It's, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Certainly not for text messages. 
And so parents, we have an opportunity here to, treat, to, to teach our kids at a young age good habits. Um, another opportunity, the benefit here, true friendship with real people. This is what we're for. True friendship with real people. Uh, Facebook has hijacked the terminology of friend and has completely diluted it. And we need to recover a biblical understanding of friendship. We're going to do that tonight. Well, we're going to try. We're going to start on that. We'll see more of what King Solomon has to say about friendship tonight. So those are, those are five things that I, I, I think God would call us to be for. I'm sure you can think of more. I hope you do think of more, and I hope that you continue to, to start creating your own list. And parents, I want to just say a couple of things to you about this before we wrap up. Um, one of the, this is one of the most vital areas for your leadership in your parenting. Parenting here for you is going to function on two levels. First, it is the level of leading yourself, of growing in your own personal obedience that arises from God-given, biblically-driven conviction. And so I just want to begin, parents, I want to, look, I'm a dad. We need to ask ourselves, do we have biblical-informed convictions, I mean, about everything, but about social media? Are we tubers or rafters here? And then second... We need to begin to convey those convictions to our children. We begin to teach them and lead them into it. We're modeling it through how we use it, and then we're teaching them why we do it this way. I think it's a, it's a great fault, potentially, to just say, no social media. We're not doing that here. Our family's different. Family might be different. Maybe you're not doing that here, but why? There's good reasons for it, and the heart of wisdom is to, is to help our children understand. No, look, we want to be like the father in Proverbs who takes his son, puts his arm around his shoulders and said, look, I'm going to show you something. Look at that kid walking down the street there. Do you see where he ends up? That's what our parenting is. We're, t- we're walking them through the why. We're helping them explore and understand their own hearts. Why do you want this so bad? What is it you want to do with social media? What are you hoping to accomplish? What are you hoping to get? So parents, don't be conformed to the, the world here. Don't assume that social media is a given or that it's automatic with age or with certain milestones? Better, let's ask, what are the biblical goals for our families? Teens, young people, look, you need help in this. I say this as as your friend. I'm just getting to know you, and I'm really enjoying getting to know you. You're a delightful bunch. And I I just, I I want to, I want to say this. I hope you'll hear this as, as like an older brother who cares for you, more than, oh, this is just another dad. I mean, I am another dad, but I hope you hear my heart in this. If you try to navigate these waters of social media without the guidance of your parents, or if your parents aren't on the scene, a a trusted and mature older Christian, look, if you try to make it on your own here, you will not survive. Your faith will not survive. It is too dangerous. And you, so, so you need help. A wise young person is not waiting for mom and dad to come and lay down the law. A wise young person is taking initiative and saying, look, here's what I'm thinking. My friends have a phone. My friends have social media. My friends are, are on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. And, and I want to do that, but I'm, I'm conflicted. I, something about it doesn't seem right. The way they use it doesn't seem godly, but I'm attracted to it. Mom, dad, can you help me figure this out? If that conversation sounds too hard or too difficult for you, then start small. Just say, Mom, Dad, how do you think about social media? What do you do with text messaging and Facebook and Twitter and whatever else? T- 
Teenagers also just want to say, this is easier for me to say than for your parents to say, but it needs to be said, when it comes to these sort of things, you need to, ban, you need to abandon the idea that you have a right to privacy. You're posting stuff out there for the whole world to see. It is ridiculous to think that you do. Um, you need to abandon that idea that independence in these matters is good or safe. Because look, the Lord sees all things. There is no such thing as a private moment. And the Lord wants to protect you from the rocks and the dangers that are in this river. He, he sees these things. He cares what you do with them. And some of the most fearsome verses in the Bible talk about God taking what is hidden and what is secret and bring it out into the light. Listen, your parents have a secret weapon. It's the Holy Spirit. They're praying. Your parents are praying every day that God will bring stuff that is hidden out into the light. It'll go way better for you if you do it. If you confess rather than being caught. It'll go way better if you get ahead of the Holy Spirit on this. Because it will come out into the light. For all of us, we need to walk in the fear of God. So there is a way to navigate this digital river so that we can arrive safely at the end. And that's called the fear of God. We'll talk more about the fear of God tomorrow morning. But if we truly believe that God sees us in all that we do, that He cares about our obedience, that He will do something when we break His laws, then we will resolve to live differently. To live in a way that pleases God. If we commit ourselves to the fear of God in our social media, and if we apply biblical discernment and walk deliver, deliberately, we have a promise that it will go well with us. Ecclesiastes 8.12, I'm going to finish with this. He says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. So that, let's pray and let's ask God to help us fear Him in all that we do. Father in heaven, Thank you for your word, even though written so long ago, speaks even now to very modern and very contemporary concerns. And we pray that you would help us to walk in the fear of you in our social media, in our friendships, in all that we do. We want to receive this as a gift, but use it wisely and walk in it with humility. We want true godliness online and in real life for your glory the sake of your name. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who we love with all our hearts. Amen. Okay.